0: I've listened to every one of your guys' podcasts, I've read every book, I've been to 10 conferences and I haven't bought one property, I'm talking to you. The world is gonna pass you by, you need to go get in the game, you need to go do a deal. On the other hand, the person doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Take a little time, have a little patience, don't be so greedy. Being an investor is tough, you know? I mean, when you're new, you're gonna take more licks and you're gonna have more problems than once you're experienced. You gotta get over the first couple deals or the first couple years where it's the most difficult. Cause you don't know what you're doing and you need to be aware of that it gets better as you go
1: everybody want to get the bag but y'all don't really know what it's gonna take trying to figure out how to start now blue jill's got to show you the no way because we we're about this and amortizing and anything it takes to get real estate blue gems ag dropping blue gems new podcast baby tune in we in this thing dropping blue gems let's go another let's go. episode of blue gems with matt sorensen man Thank you so much for being here. Such a, such a pleasure. Let's uh dive into your story. Like, what are you up to? What do you do? What's your expertise? So, well, I invest in real estate
0: myself. want to throw that out. What I do for a day job is I'm an attorney. I'm co-managing partner of a firm with about 70 employees. We work with a lot of real estate investors and entrepreneurs. Those are our typical clients doing business planning, tax planning, helping them sort out their tax and legal world. That's one thing that I do. But I'm also CEO and actually spend most of my time running Directed IRA and Directed Trust Company. Our company provides self-directed IRAs, which you can use to invest in real estate all types of real estate from single family to multifamily, short-term, long-term, whatever you want to do. But we have over 10,000 accounts, a billion in assets. Wow. Been around for only three years. So we've had huge growth. But that's really my expertise. I wrote a book on that subject called The Self-Directed IRA Handbook. That's the number one book in the field on that topic. So I write for Entrepreneur Magazine. as a tax and legal contributor. I don't know. I'm out there. I got a couple podcasts myself. So, <laughs> you know, the Main Business Podcast, Directed IRA Podcast trying to do my YouTube channel thing. That's a new venture of mine, but you know, I'm just out there trying to live the American dream like everyone else.
1: Busy, busy. I love it, man. So much to impact. Let's talk about utilizing a self-directed IRA to actually invest into real estate, because I think that's an interesting concept that I know a little bit about, but maybe the audience doesn't even know it's even possible.
0: So a self-directed IRA, for no, those of you who may not have heard about it, is basically just an IRA. Like you can have an IRA at TD Ameritrade or Fidelity, but when you're there, they're going to make you buy stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. And so you need to move your account to a provider who lets you invest into real estate or LLCs or private companies or do private lending, like you can do all those investments with an IRA. You just can't do it at Fidelity. So I have clients that come here are like, Matt, I heard I could, you told me I could buy real estate with an IRA. I called Fidelity and I told them I want to buy the property down the street and they told me I can't do it. I'm like, yeah, that's because IRAs at Fidelity can't do that. That's not because right. an IRA can't do it. Fidelity is a broker dealer. They sell financial products. I'm like, It's like you walked into McDonald's asking for a Chalupa. They don't sell Chalupas. You get Big Macs, that's all you can get, okay? You're at the wrong place. So you need to get over to someone who lets you self-direct. And there's like 30 other companies that do this. You know, you only need to know one, and we happen to be the best, which which works out for everyone. So that's directed (laughs) IRA, (laughs) but but I want to take a step back though. Let me actually say why everyone should know this. There is $35 trillion in retirement accounts in the U.S. There is no place where there is money to invest in anything than U.S. retirement accounts. But a lot of people have just been trained to think, oh, they buy mutual funds or stocks or CDs. No, that's just because you're lazy. Like you can actually use this money to invest in real estate. And in all of America, everybody has their little sliver of this 35 trillion. Most people have a retirement account, whether it's an IRA or 401k, maybe an old employer 401k. So a lot of us have our own little sliver that we can actually invest in stuff that we care about and know, such as real estate. But even if you don't care about that, let's say you're 20, you're like, man, I'm just trying to make money in real estate. I could care less about a retirement account. That's for later. I want to make money today. Okay. Everyone else has 35 trillion in real estate that could be invested in your deals. And I can't tell you how many investors I talk to that are like brand new real estate investors that are like, I funded my first deal from my friend's IRA or some other investor's IRA. They were my private money lender or my cash partner on the deal. And there's no way I could have done it without their cash. And so it's really, really important topic. I say it's kind of like the most underutilized tool in a real estate investor's toolkit. It can really be powerful because there's so much money in them.
2: Amazing. How do you get started? What would the process look like for someone buying a property in a self-directed IRA versus a traditional real estate transaction?
0: Most people that do a self-directed IRA are starting with an IRA already, or they've got an old employer 401k. They already have a retirement account with some money in it. Now, you can always start from zero, but that takes longer. We can talk about that later. And frankly, everyone started at zero at one point. A lot of our clients are people in their 40s or 50s. They've saved in their 401k for years. They've got hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in it. And they're just tired of the stock market roller coaster. Now, there's other ways to get there. Just We can talk about solo k's and all these other cool tools. The most common person that's doing this has an existing retirement account with some money. So the first step is, it's really a three-step process. Step one, you need to move to a self-directed provider. So if my IRA is at Fidelity, I'm going to need to go open up a self-directed IRA at directed IRA. Step two is I'm going to request them to, or wherever you want to go. Step two is you got to move the money. So you'd actually request what's called a transfer. There's no tax to say, hey, Fidelity, send my money to Directed IRA or to whoever my self-directed company is. They'll transfer the money over. So you'll have to sell whatever stock or mutual funds you have. You move the money. And then step three is you make the investment. When you have an IRA, like the IRA is going to own the asset. If I'm doing a deal, you know, it's not in Aiden's name or JB's name. It's in Directed Trust Company, FBO, Aiden's IRA. That's the purchaser that's buying the asset. That's who gets the rental income. That's who's paying for the repairs. That's who gets the gain when it sells. And it's all going in and out of your IRA. Now, the cool thing about that is there's no tax. So when I'm making money, I'm not paying tax. When I sell the property for profit later, there's no tax on it. There's a lot of tax advantages to a retirement account. So I'm building all that wealth, but I'm not taking it yet. That's the one thing to keep in mind. This is building long-term wealth. The retirement account, you can only pull the money out at 59 and a half. So I'm building this for the long-term. So that's one way to use life. Like, and you're like, I want to use my own account. But let's say you're like, I just want to use someone else's account on my deal. And that's very common. Like I'm a real estate investor, I got a deal, I need a hundred grand on it. Maybe I'm going to do a note that I'm going to secure against the real estate. Maybe I'm going to bring him into my LLC. Well, that investor just comes over and funds your deal. They lend you the money, whatever it goes to your company that owns the property doing the deal. There's lots of different ways this can come together. With the $35 trillion there, you just kinda gotta know how to access that money either to grow your own account, if you wanna grow your own retirement account using real estate, rather than like a lot of people who have mutual funds and don't even know what the heck mutual fund they have, or you wanna access other people's money
2: to do your deals. And do you have to have the total amount of the property in the account? In other words, you couldn't combine it with other financing? You can actually, you just gotta, there's a little more nuance to it. So this is why I had to write a book, you know, 17
0: chapters on this. But what I tell people, and sometimes I don't want to, feel like this is too complex, is self-directing an IRA, I always tell people, is like playing a board game. It's not that it's hard, it's just you've never done it before and the rules are a little different. So you got to read the rule book or play with someone who's done it before. But once you've done it, it's the same thing over and over again. So the rules are the same, the moves are the same, how you use it's the same thing. You just got to kind of learn the rules first. You can combine other funds. The easiest would be, and for example, I have a rental owned by my retirement account. My retirement account actually owns an LLC the LLC owns the property. This is a property I'm actually going to sell right now. I just li- literally I'm listing it today for sale. I bought it in 2017 for 85 grand. It's just a single family rental in Indianapolis, rented for 1050 a month. Right now it rents for 1400 a month and it's gone up. I'm listing it for actually for 185, like it's, I'm literally listing it for 100,000 over what I bought it for. Yeah. Amazing. So I bought it actually half down from my IRA and I got a loan from a bank for the other half. So that was 42500 I put down. It's actually my 401k instead of IRA, but it works the same here. So I put 425 down from my retirement account and I got a bank to fund the balance. So there's a lot of banks out there that specialize in loans to people using IRAs and 401ks to buy real estate. It's called a non-recourse loan. We have a bunch of them on our website. I, there's like five or six on our website. They like target people using IRAs to invest and buy real estate. Now, the the nuance though is when you're getting a loan to buy real estate with a retirement account, it has to be non-recourse, which means you can't guarantee the loan. When your retirement account's making an investment, there's a whole set of rules called prohibited transactions that are meant to kind of avoid manipulation and anything unfair going to your retirement account. And one thing that Congress thought would be unfair is if you guaranteed debt for your retirement account. So you can't personally guarantee debt for your retirement account you just have to use a loan where the bank's going to lend on the property. If the IRA or 401k defaults, they're just going to foreclose and take the property back. They can't come after you. They can't go after the retirement account for any deficiency. They just can take the property back. So it's called a non-recourse loan. Because of that, because they can't go after you if you default or if you say your IRA or 401k, they make you put more money down you usually need to put 30 to 40% down. In my case, I just put 50% down just because it was like on only another 5 or 6 grand on my deal. But you can see like I could have bought The property for eighty five, but why? I was using the power of debt and leverage. You can buy more properties if they perform well and they cash flow. You know, it's a great tool. You can partner with other people too. You could partner. You guys could both put your retirement accounts together into an LLC to go buy a property. You can even partner your personal cash with your retirement account with your spouse's retirement account into an LLC to buy a property.
2: There's lots of options and opportunities there. So you mentioned the down payment. What does the rate look like on a bank that's doing that type of loan? So
0: they're usually a little bit higher than what you would see. I'd usually say plan on about a hundred basis points, one percent higher than what you typically see on a standard loan in the in the market for an investor. So like my mortgage is five and a half percent. Now that was in twenty seventeen when I did it. Rates since then have kind of dropped and popped back up a little bit, but five and a half percent. So I think at that time my rates were maybe around four and a half. So not bad at all.
2: Yeah. And then I wanted to pivot into more of your legal background. So as short term rental investors, you know, we get asked all the time and it's definitely outside of our expertise to be talking about how to structure your setup for your properties. So what do you recommend at a high level for someone getting started with a few short term rentals?
0: So generally, we like LLCs, but it depends on your situation, other investments, other assets you have. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And what we've realized, and this is where we're working with real estate investors for years, our niche client is the millionaire next door. A lot of people think, oh, you got a law firm, you just work for all these big companies and stuff. No, our typical client is just the real estate investor, entrepreneur, self-employed person. and so. But what we found with them is they are prone to getting terrible legal advice. They get sucked in on YouTube or they get sold something (laughs) at an event. It's some corporate headquarter place or someplace that there's not lawyers, but they're trying to sell all these services that real estate investors know they need. It's just not the right fit for them. Like they're, I feel like they're like going to the pharmacy, just like asking the person at the counter what to take, you know? And it's like no one's really looked into what they need and what they should have. They're just like throwing it into their body. What we like to do is we like to look at for tax and asset protection planning. Because a CPA or an accountant, what we've realized over the years too, and we're tax lawyers, a number of our attorneys have masters in tax or CPAs also. Our law firm's KQS Lawyers, by the way, it's kqslawyers.com. What we've realized is CPAs are good at giving you tax advice, lawyers are good at giving you legal advice, but a lot of times they are not on the same page. And what your attorney tells you to do might be great from a legal standpoint, but it totally blows your tax planning. And so we've tried to be balanced and coordinated in that we do what's called a trifecta. And this is our signature thing we do at our law firm. We basically put a line down the middle of a piece of paper. Just think of this, a line right down the middle of the piece of paper. We've got a left side and a right side. On your left side, we have operational businesses. On the right side, We have investments and assets. Now, at the bottom for the trifecta, we just basically have your trust for estate planning. Pretty easy and basic. Don't need to talk about that. Where most people make their mistakes, though, is they mess up their operations and their assets. So think about it. What's unique about an operational business is, just think of any operating business, driving down Main Street in your town, okay? The dry cleaner, the bakery shop, the coffee shop, the massage therapist, what I don't care, like everything, like those are all operating businesses. Their income is taxed where they pay income tax and they got to pay self-employment tax. They pay a higher tax rate and there's different tax strategies on that type of income. Also, they have liability. If something goes wrong on something they're doing, they're liable. For the real estate investor, think of someone flipping properties or a contractor. They've got some liability. They're flipping properties. Someone's buying it. There's claims. They've got some liability there. This is all on the operating side. On the right side, though, we have investments and assets. And that's where we have better tax planning because that's investment income. I've got rental income, interest income, capital gain income. So my rental properties are over here on this LLC side. My stock portfolio, my IRAs and 401ks are over here too. But I'm not paying self-employment tax over here. I'm just paying regular income tax. If I got rental income, I'm just paying regular income tax. I don't got to pay into Medicare and Social Security on it. Because of those two differences we like to separate operations and investment assets. And we're going to use different entities
1: in different situations on those sides. I can go into that if you want. Yeah, yeah. Let's dig into it for sure.
0: Sorry, I get like, in lecture mode. And no,
1: no, no. This is amazing. Yeah. Let, let's dig into that for sure. You know, I bill by the hour so I can talk forever. <laughs> I've, I've learned
0: to be out being a lawyer for, you know, 16 years. <laughs> so if we're thinking of your operations side, think of the left side of your life, because see so many clients and even short-term real estate investors are the classic. There's a lot going on. Maybe they got a real estate license. Maybe they got a small business. Maybe they got a day job and a side hustle. Plus, they got their short-term rental business. Maybe they got some long-term rentals. Maybe their spouse has other stuff going on. It gets messy, particularly when you start growing and having success. You're going to need this organized. You're going to need this thought through. You're buying another property. You're trying to scale the business. This needs to be organized right from the beginning. Otherwise, it turns into a cluster. So on the left side, we're going to typically use S-corporations. S-corporations, or this could be an LLC taxes in S-corp. We usually just set up an S-corporation. They save on self-employment tax. Every small business owner that's an operating business, dentist, doctor, realtor, contractor, short-term real estate investor, flipper, they should be setting up S-corporations. They should use S-corporations as long as they make 40K or more a year in net income. Because what happens on an S-corp is all those businesses we talked about, the typical small business in America, they all have to pay self-employment tax, which is 15.3% on top of their income tax. See, when you're an employee for any of you, you know, you have a day job at W-2, like you have Medicare and Social Security coming out of your paycheck. Well, your employer also has to pay half of that. You're not even seeing on your paycheck. They're also paying in for you. Well, when you're self-employed, you pay both parts of that because you're the employer and the employee, which totals out to 15.3%. Now, in an S-corporation, what you're essentially able to do is take a small salary where you have to pay self-employment tax, and you can push the rest of the income through as profit, which is exempt from self-employment tax. We have podcast episodes, chapters, and books on this, tons of content on how to use an S-corp and how that salary-dividend split works. But we're using S-corporations for any operating business.
2: And then why 40K? 40K is because until
0: you're making at least that much, it's not worth the tax headache because you got to file tax returns and do payroll. Let's say I'm just making 10, 20 grand a year. I've got a side hustle or I got a ton of expenses in my business. If I set up an S corporation, I got to do a corporate tax return now and I got to do quarterly payroll. Well, those two things combined might cost you a couple thousand bucks at least. My tax savings at 40 grand is probably only about two thousand dollars. But at a hundred grand net income, my tax savings is about nine to ten thousand. And that's every year. So I got a little cost on the front end to set it up. I got to do a corporate tax turn every year. Once we're over forty, we know it's not it's paying for itself and you're keeping tax savings in your pocket. Cause no one wants to do a tax strategy and all the tax saving just goes to the accountant or the lawyer that set it up. <laughs> like yeah. You
2: know, right. That, you're not ahead, <laughs> you know. Right. No, it's funny you bring that up because one of the running jokes is that a lawyer will always tell you you need multiple LLCs because they're billing you by the hour, right? So every LLC that you create is going to be a fee. Every accountant will tell you you need, you know, multiple partnership entities because they're paying by tax return. So it's funny that we're going to the person for advice that's making, you know, the most money from putting it into play.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's lots of services that's that way. And that's why I we're like, you know, we are lawyers, but we're like, we use a freaking lawyer for crying out loud. People using these, I don't know even what to call them, these like people that, Masquerade as lawyers and go give you advice and set up entities for you. I'm like, just do it yourself, then. You know, I mean, you're not getting any advice and structure. But well, let me say on this, on the LLCs, because that's what you talked about is like it's a common question of, well, how many LLCs should I have? I have a multiple properties, and we get that question a lot. Should I have an LLC for every property? If we look at the right side, your investments and assets, we're going to use LLCs. So this is like rental properties would be the classic. I've got a rental. I'm going to put that in an LLC. Rental properties, I don't pay self-employment tax on. Rental properties, you just get rental income and when you sell it, you have capital gain. So I don't need to worry about self-employment tax. I don't need to worry about running it through an S-Corp. And actually, S-Corporations have tax loss rules on them and limitations on taking tax losses. So it affects my ability if I have rental real estate losses and how I can use them. There's a lot of reasons you don't want to mix rentals into an S-Corp. LLCs is what we're typically going to use for rentals. Now, LLCs do not save taxes. If I owned it personally, or I own a rental in my LLC, my tax return is going to be the exact same. There is no tax benefit to using an LLC. That's a big misconception. A lot of people, you need LLCs, you can save on taxes. No, you don't. That's not going to help. We use the LLC for asset protection. So if something happens on the rental, I don't want to own that. I don't want Matt Sorensen on it. They can sue me as the owner of that property, they can get my personal assets, they can get a judgment against me, they can garnish any bank accounts or investment accounts in my name. I don't want that nightmare. So we're using LLCs to protect the, the liability that can come from the property against all the assets that we may have. So LLCs are strictly for asset protection. Tenant slips and falls, they have to sue the LLC. They can get at whatever the LLC owns though, So let's say I had five properties in one LLC, something goes wrong on property number one. And let's say I happen to have 100,000 of equity in each of these five properties. So the LLC is really holding 500,000 of equity total. Something goes wrong on property number one, they sue the LLC. Well, they can get at all the equity that are in all five properties because it's all owned in the same company. They can't come down and go after me because I own the LLC and the LLC has this limited liability protection. They can't get into my other entities I might have But whatever is owned in that LLC is subject to any lawsuit. So because of that, we don't like to put all properties in the same LLC, but there's also some reasonableness to it. So on the one extreme, a lot of people say, well, because of this, you need to have a separate LLC for every property. Well, do you really? Not really. I mean, we have clients that mortgage and leverage their properties to the hilt. You know, you could have 10 properties with 10,000 of equity. That's only 100,000 of equity. I'm going to be like, let's just throw them in one LLC. What do we care? These things are cash flow cows. You strip out all the equity every moment you have to buy more. I'm not really concerned about a lawsuit getting at your equity. You just strip it out whenever it's there or you just don't have it yet. Let's just keep it simple and use one entity. On the other hand, when we have a client that's got two properties and each property has 300,000 of equity in and of itself, I don't like dropping those in the same LLC because if something goes wrong on the other, on one, the other one that has its own 300,000 of equity is now at risk too. So what we like to do is once there's 250,000 of equity at play between multiple properties, we like to separate them. So in that example, I would, the two properties each have 300,000 of equity, I would do a separate LLC for each one. Now the cost of it makes sense because you have enough value to protect. You have to have something that has value, right? So, so we're looking at that and then weighing the cost of setting up an entity. Like you know, we charge for an attorney to set it up and do the full thing, do a consult. Our fee is eight hundred bucks. We have a paralegal service that's four hundred and fifty bucks, where you work the paralegal instead. Even if you do it yourself online or whatever, your legal zoom or whoever, there's still going to be a cost to it. So, so we're looking at how much equity do you have between your properties.
1: That's interesting. So, Matt I have like 12 LLCs myself. I don't have a holding company. Can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons or advantageous reasons why someone should have a holding company? So if you think of the diagram, well, I'll always start at
0: the bottom. Just think, we always diagram from you owning and go up. So let's say you've got 12 LLCs. The holding company is gonna be JB, personally. You own the holding company 100%. The holding company then owns those 12 entities. So it's almost like a parent subsidiary type thing in corporate planning, but the holding company is basically in the middle between your property LLCs and you personally. Now, the holding company, what we typically use it for, there's a couple of uses, but the typical use for a real estate investor is for what's called charging order protection. And some of these are called a COPE entity, C-O-P-E, charging order protection entity. See, in an LLC, in the typical LLC, and and you're a good example actually for a holding company, if you have 12 LLCs, I assume you got a lot of properties. Like if someone's just buying their first short-term rental or first property, don't start with a holding company. You can add it in later. You're going to, you're overkilling the, the legal planning. <laughs> but if you have 12, I mean, I presume you got a lot of properties. You might have 12 or more properties. So we're going to look at this as a strategy. Think of your 12, I mean, do you want me to ask how many properties do you have? Do you have 12 properties or more between these or some of these operating businesses versus
1: asset businesses? Yeah. So Aiden and I have 24 total. I think I have 18. Is that right? 19? Just just okay. me in terms of ownership yeah just just me without yours included i think it's something like that 20 let's call it 20 okay so
0: now you've got some llcs some of our partnerships some of them you own 100% that make that's easy if it's your 50% rather than you owning it it's going to be this holding company if it's 100% you know so we're just adding this holding company in the middle whether you own 50% or not but the holding company is not a tax strategy there is a tax option here I I can come back to, but of where some people use it for taxes. But generally, it's an asset protection tool. So think of those 20-plus properties. Let's say that rather than something going wrong on a property, let's say you get in a lawsuit personally. Someone sues you personally for something. I don't know, you're driving, you know, you get in a car accident, and there's a terrible accident, insurance can't cover all the loss. Something happens in your personal life. I I don't know, you know, you get a judgment against you, okay? you have a a line of credit or something, a, a business venture that goes bad, you get a judgment against you personally. And you know, for most business people that are doing a lot of deals and a lot of businesses, that will happen someday. Okay? Like it's just a matter of time or you're just not in the game enough or you just you just haven't gotten to that level where you're doing a lot of stuff. If you get a judgment against you personally, the way that a creditor can collect is they can blow right through your LLC. If you have a judgment against you and you own an LLC 100%, they can go right into that LLC, force you to sell the property and then go get paid on what they owed now on your partnership entities they can't actually and unless they had a judgment against your partner as well because in that instance, the courts are going to be like, we're not going to let you into that company to force the sale of assets, the property, because there's an innocent partner in there to protect. So you have to sit outside here and you know you still got a judgment, let's say against JB. But if JB and Aiden own a property together, own an LLC that owns property, we're not going to let them get into that. But anything you own 100%, any entities are fair game for a creditor to chase down and force you to sell properties. The holding company can stop that though. So that's why it's called charging order protection entity. So we usually use Wyoming. And just so people know, all the property LLCs for most tax and legal planning, we're setting the LLC up in the state where you own the property. Wyoming is used uniquely in this charging order protection scenario. So you, JB, in this example, would own the Wyoming charging order protection entity. It's a Wyoming LLC because Wyoming law says hey, if there's a judgment against JB or any, anybody, they didn't just write a video, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> <You> know, <laughs> JB had a, a team of lobbyists. Like this awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a judgment against, against you. They get what's called a charging order, which forces them to sit outside the LLC. So they're stuck at this Wyoming LLC. They can't go upstream. So they've got the judgment against you, but now that you're like, but you're like, I mean, great. I don't have any assets. All my assets are in my businesses. That's where my empire has been built, and all the equity in these properties. They get stuck at this Wyoming holding company that's with this charging order, and they can't get up to the next entity that you might own 100% that owns a property. So that's the only unique thing on Wyoming law um, and why we would use it for a holding company, but that's the general use of a holding company is for charging order protection. It's protecting your assets and your properties from your personal liabilities. That's what it's doing. Usually when we're setting up an LLC for a property, we're trying to protect you personally from the liability of a property. So it kind of flips it around and does protection the opposite direction when using this holding company strategy. So now some people use a holding company for tax efficiency. For example, let's say you've got 20-plus properties. The ones that you have a partner, you're doing a partnership tax return. You're doing a 1065 partnership return. The ones you own 100%, they're flowing right onto your 1040 tax return. A lot of sophisticated real estate investors at some point don't like having their rental properties on their personal tax return. There's a number of reasons for that, but the primary one is individual returns are audited more than business returns. So if I can have a business return, now if you're single, there's no way to do it. But if you're married, we usually just do a partnership. The holding company turns into a partnership entity between you and a spouse and you start filing a 1065 partnership return. And this pulls all of the rentals off of your personal return and you end up just having... K-1s flowing onto your personal return, which makes your personal return a lot cleaner. And that's kind of a preference thing. Again, it does not save you taxes. It's simply an audit risk strategy. Again, I would not do that for a client that has less than like 10 properties. But someone that has more than that, that sees some audit risk and just doesn't want to deal with an audit, it does decrease your chance of an audit. But again, now you're going to pay more in fees for that. You have to do an extra return every year. So... But this is this just like this is where there's nuance in all this planning and right. what you should do. Like again, I would never talk about that for someone buying their first property.
1: We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon now back to the show
2: so we have a lot of newer investors listening uh into the show so what would be your advice for someone just getting into their first rental property from a legal and tax standpoint
0: what i would say is just spend a little bit of time getting some planning and advice whether it's us or someone else you can do it for under a thousand bucks get the right entity that you need for your business and get a little understanding of with your lawyer, hopefully they can do some tax planning with you. That's why we try to make it efficient for clients where you know what you're doing now and you also go over what you're doing next. So you kind of know what your plan should be and you know immediately what type of entity structure you should have and what you should be doing on the next type of deals. Now, maybe you're just going to do more of what you're already doing at first and that's fine, but also your attorney should know that. Get a little advice. What I would say more importantly is, and this is just me, Matt, real estate investor too, and working with thousands and thousands of real estate investors over the years, every day we're processing five to 10 real estate purchases at Directed IRA. Like we just see it's just happening a lot. So we just see a lot, talking a lot of people, see a lot of trends. One thing for new people that I've realized, know who you are, okay? And I want to talk about two categories of people of real estate investors. There's the one category that goes for it that doesn't know what the hell they're doing, okay? And they learn a little bit and they think they know everything and they just freaking go for it. And bless them, I love them, but a lot of them crash and burn, screw it up, sometimes lose other people's money and their own time, okay? But That's a category of person. I got a little piece of advice for you. We have another category of people that learn, that listen, that read every book, that binge every podcast, that have watched every YouTube channel and don't do anything. Okay. (laughs) Mm. I want those two people to like merge into one. And that is where the super powerful real estate investor is or entrepreneur, because you need a little bit of balance. So know who you are. If you're the guy over here, that's like, yeah, I've listened to every one of your guys' podcasts. I've read every book. I've been to 10 conferences and I haven't bought one property. Okay, I'm talking to you. You need to start doing something, okay? The world is going to pass you by. You need to go get in the game. You need to go do a deal. Quit looking for the next best deal that's going to be better than the one right in front of you. On the other hand, the person doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Take a little time, have a little patience. Don't be so greedy. Learn, work with other people. See if you can help someone on a deal. Go through a process with them before you go do your own. And I think you're just going to have a lot more success as a new investor because being an investor is tough. You know, I mean, it can be totally rewarding and satisfying. But when you're new, you're going to take more licks and you're going to have more problems than once you're experienced. And you got to get over the hump. You got to get over the first couple deals or the first a couple years where it's the most difficult because you don't know what you're doing and you need to be aware of that. It gets better as you go. I
2: don't know. That's my mic no, drop. No, 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 that's a, that's a great I answer. Drop. I love that. I love those two avatars and then combining it into
1: one. Yeah, it's so true though.
2: I know. Yep.
0: I know. I love them. I had I had a client. Um, it's actually in Arizona. I remember he came into my office and he was analyzing a deal. And I talked to him many times. And I'm like, I don't give investment advice. I never tell my clients what to buy. But I just told him, I'm like, Are you gonna ever buy anything? Are you ever <laughs> going to buy anything? You know? I mean, bless you. You spend all thousands of dollars talking to us. And and so he finally did. You know? Good thing. You know, this is before the real estate market went on a huge run. But he just kept thinking, Well, next month there's gonna be a better deal, or maybe the market's too high, right? now and it's gonna drop and I'll be right there ready, you know. Right. <laughs> and and then he just never did
1: anything. Analysis paralysis gets gets everybody. Yep, exactly.
0: But know who you are. That's the thing is and some people are a little more in the middle, which is great. You're lucky. Some people, and I, I have to say, I've had some really successful clients that are the one hand that just go for it. And frankly, some of them just got lucky. But they learned a little bit as they went and they kind of got the school of hard knocks. They stayed in the game and they've been terribly successful because they're aggressive. They go for it. But on the other hand, I've seen a lot of them over there that are smart, super aggressive, totally crash and burn though because they just didn't know what they were doing. And they get too excited. They're like, they're like the sales that gets sold everything, you know? The person who's a salesman is like the person that buys everything, you know? They're like, ah, oh, that's amazing, well, let's do it, you know? <laughs>
2: and then you work with a lot of successful investors, right, through your legal background and even self-directed RA. What is the number one trend that you see for your top performing real estate investors?
0: The number one thing I see is those who really make a lot of money. And, you know, my largest client has a $300 million Roth IRA, Okay. Wow. He, he does real estate. I have tons of clients with 10 million plus retirement accounts. And a lot of people are like, I don't even know you can get that much. And we have lots of clients without retirement accounts. The ones that do the best and seem to make the most money, the ones that just do the same thing, they just do it over and over a lot and in high volume. One of my clients is the biggest. I mean, he was basically a real estate developer and figured out how to do certain deals in his Roth IRA, he just became known for these types of deals that he liked to do. He would typically come in, I mean, he would do hotel deals. I mean, he's doing big deals now. But he kind of scaled up to that and, and grew up to it. But a lot of my clients are like the 10 million plus accounts. They're doing stuff that doesn't sound that cool. Private money lending. But if you think of the numbers on private money lending and how Often they get their money back out. They're lending their money twice a year sometimes and they're getting 10% plus interest. That's a 20% total annual return. Plus they're getting points. You do that every year for 20 years, just run the numbers on doing that with $100,000. It turns into millions. But what they do is they get good at doing it over and over. And one of the reasons that I think it works is you refine that investment strategy And this could be my short-term rental clients, my clients that do multifamily very successfully. Even I have a lot of clients that are just, you know, they have 100 single-family rentals. And they just have perfected their strategy. They're not doing everything. They're not trying to flip a property and do a long-term buy and hold. They're focused on like one thing and getting really good at it. Because each strategy takes a little different stuff. For example, if I want to fix and flip, you better have a good team of contractors. Short-term rentals, that's a totally different game than a long-term rental, right? The numbers are different. The types of properties you're going to go after are different. There's just so many differences in the strategies. But then also what happens is once you've done it for like 5 or 10 years, you're known as someone that does that. And you start getting deal flow. That's when you're powerful. When you start getting people that bring you the good deals that they find because they know you're the wizard or the expert or the person that can make a big deal happen and that type of strategy, now you're not going to find deals. They come to you and you get to sort through and pick the ones you do. But if you're the guy trying to do every investment strategy, (laughs) no one's going to know you for anything and you're probably not going to be good at it, you know?
1: makes so much sense. Yeah, we're only laughing because we, we pivot quite quite often. You know, we're, we're trying to stay tunnel vision on short-term rentals and then we're trying to buy an office building next and now we're trying to transition into hotels. Wow. But um, still with the short-term rental background, but... But it's interesting.
0: I'm a culprit to that myself, you know. I flipped a proper. I tried flipping. I did one flip, and I was like, it turned in. Let's just say that flip turned into a long term rent. I ended up owning that. It turned into a rental because I couldn't. This is during the financial crisis. Sure. So I had a little bit of an excuse, but it took me ten years to make money on that thing. But I just realized wow. I'm a buy and hold guy. I just knew yeah. what I was. Now I am actually looking to do it my first short term rental. So um, I'm actually going to convert a long term rental I have into a short term rental. The super, but see here, I'm a little different too, and this way why everybody's kind of kind of know yourself. I'm trying to build businesses. I'm yeah. growing businesses. I got like, I got Sweet. like 120 employees. You know, yeah. like I'm not trying to. I, I love real estate, and it's I but I like stuff that I can kind of set it and forget it, build for the long term. I don't have time to go and do deals. That comment's not universal because sometimes as the time changes, the investment strategies change. What works in the market now doesn't work for the strategy you were doing before. And so sometimes you got to change with that, what the market's doing and where the opportunities are as well. Or where you get connections. You know, sometimes you find a, an opportunity place where you can start doing deals and you learn a new strategy or whatever, that is like, that is better than what I'm doing. So I don't, don't feel bad if you're pivoting. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Appreciate the confidence boost. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Matt, if you could leave one more blue gem with the listeners, it could be about real estate. It could be about tax prep or IRAs, anything you want to leave. It could be about life in general. What would you want to leave the audience? There's more than one way to do things. And I think that
0: a lot of people will hear something and they're like, oh, you got to do it that way because this is what so-and-so said or this is the blueprint that was laid out before. My like personal mantra is go your own way. That was like my personal thing. Go your own way, figure it out yourself, learn from others, but that doesn't mean it's the right way to do something. And so, like in my own business, what one thing that's part of our core values at directed IRA is there's 30 people different competitors in our industry. I'm not gonna just do what they're doing. In fact, we exist and are successful because we do things differently. We don't do it the same way that they do it. Look for good models and people to model after, but find out a way to do it for yourself, find out ways to do something differently. And if you're good at that, that adds a ton of value, no matter what you're doing, whether it's a short-term rental and the way you prepare a property or the offerings you have or amenities or things like that, things that can distinguish you can add a lot of value. And also, I think there's a lot of satisfaction in just figuring out and doing something your own way rather than just the copycat model of who did it before you. Go your own way. Love it.
1: And uh, where can people find you? So my website's
0: com. That's Matt with one T, M-A-T, Sorensen, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. Um, I'm on most social places in that spot. I've got two podcasts, the Directed IRA Podcast, which is all about self-directing. In fact, we've done episodes on just buying a short-term rental with your IRA. There's um, tons of real estate episodes. But um, then I have a Main Street Business Podcast. That's been around. I do that with my partner, Mark Kohler. That's been around for a while. We have over 2 million downloads on that wow. podcast. Yeah, it's, it's been an awesome journey on that podcast. not on then directed IRAs. If anybody needs self-directed IRA help, we have a real estate quick start guide that's free. You can get on the site at directedira.com. Just go to the real estate page. It's pretty easy to find from the homepage. It's about a six-page like quick primer on what you need to know to buy real estate with an IRA. Um, then the law firm's KQS lawyers. If you need tax legal planning, you need some entities, some restructuring. Right now, actually, we have what's called our rehab special. We do this every year. I'd probably say about a third of the clients that come to us tried to set something up on their own or they used someone else that didn't know what the hell they were doing. Even if this was their lawyer brother-in-law who happens to do divorces all day long that tried to do their tax and legal planning too and jacked it up. So we do this rehab where we'll fix any entities you set up. We discount it or we'll just do a start over and redo the whole thing and do a new entity and dissolve, close out the old ones. So that's going on right now. There's You can save 100 bucks on some of those services um, in September. But that's kkoslawyers.com. And then I got my book, The Self-Directed IRA Handbook, People want to do a deep dive on that subject. That's pretty much it.
1: Awesome, man. Amazing. Thank you What so much. an episode, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems AG dropping blue gems New podcast baby tune in We in this thing dropping blue gems